Welcome back once again to Talking with Tech. This is Lucas Duber joined by Chris Begay. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm very well. And Rachel Madel, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you guys? Good. It's uh, it's actually sunny in, in Portland for once. Um, so I, I don't know I don't know what to do with myself. Um, so Chris, you had the opportunity to talk with Ellen Winchester and Andrea Gardner. Um, tell so, us a little yeah, bit about So yeah, what you're that. about to hear in this interview is them talking all about the training that they do for, they think of it as three tiers of training. And uh, the tiers are really different people that they train. Uh, so they, they have... Uh, they train parents and they train teachers and then they really take it on themselves to train the community when they actually go out to communities and work with community partners. Like how do we make our entire uh, environment better for people with disabilities? And so they've kind of taken that out. They're going to talk about that. I'm really excited for that because I feel like that's, it's, it's, it's hard to envision what the therapy that we do, how that translates to the real world, right? Especially, you know, if you're in a private practice, you're in a school, you hope that those skills transfer, but it's not, it's not always the case that you get the experience of seeing a child in the community. So I'm excited. Yeah. I, I'm yeah, excited just, to, just the concept of autism friendly communities, right? And, and how, how we construct something like that. You know, it's, it's been on my mind a lot. Um, I, one argument that I heard pretty recently from someone, and I, I'm not endorsing this argument, but it made me think, was that um, the, uh, the, the, the process of giving as many accommodations as we do in the classroom can be a disservice for folks that then are entering a community environment where there are no such accommodations, right? Where it is not friendly uh, from a sensory standpoint, these other things. What, what do you think about that statement? Um, and how can, we, how can we create opportunities in the community that are uh, sensory friendly? Well, I think people try in the world. I mean, I, I think if you ask people, well, geez, can I make my service or my organization or the place that I'm at people to come even more friendly to more people? Most people want to help and want to make it as inviting and as welcoming. They want to provide as many accommodations. They just either don't think of it or don't know how. So it's, I think it's, a, it's an educational piece. You know, we have to educate the community. Yeah. So actually, I just posted on my Facebook group. Um, there's a zoo in Pennsylvania that was just named the world's first uh, autism certified zoo, which is really, really awesome, actually. It's really close to where I grew up. And I think we need more of that, right? And it made, you know, it made national news, which was really cool. And they just make sure that their facility is autism friendly. And I think the biggest piece is that sensory element. So making sure that, you know, there's not, artificial lighting and really loud noises that we can, you know, kind of prevent. And I think these considerations are something that we're hopefully going to be seeing a lot more of, um, you know, so that kids with autism and, you know, adults with autism can experience all the same things that everybody else experiences, um, just taking into consideration their special considerations. Yeah, you know, I think the zoo is a great example. And I know that there are movie theaters that have special uh, sensory friendly films, you know, so that the, maybe the lights aren't as dark or the music isn't turned up as loud or, uh, you know, you can actually get up and move around and no one's going to be like, Hey, sit down, you know, uh, put your phone away. You know, it's, 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 it's meant to be more inviting to more people. Or there's, um, uh, grocery stores that are having certain hours where they change the lighting, um, and change the music that's playing and things like that. And so those are just a few examples. And I, I bet you there's even more than I'm not even, we're not even touching. Right. And so I wonder if um, we invited um, our listeners to say, well, I know this organization or I know this company and they could go and maybe post it on our Facebook group. 
show off what your community is doing that are moving in this direction, that are, are trying to be more inclusive and accommodating other people. Yeah, I would love to hear those. So if you, if you are familiar with any cool ideas out there or things that you've seen happen in your community or just things that you'd like to see, um, come find us, Talking With Tech on Facebook. Um, I'd love to, love to hear about it. Um, I think, you know, the, the great thing about hearing about those ideas is then you can, you can generalize them out, right? Um, we, I, in, my, in our area, I've seen a lot of the, like we have the, the movie theaters that do these things. We have, um, there's even a martial arts college here that does a sensory-friendly class. Um, you know, I've seen the, the grocery stores do it. One really creative one that I, that I really like out here is the Portland Airport um, does an autism day where you can actually go and bring your child and you even go board an airplane in sort of a mock experience and, you know, and then exit, which I relate with because I don't like flying. So <laughs> I need to acclimate myself to it. Yeah. And I work with a lot of families and things that, you know, we take for granted, like going to the hairdresser or going to the dentist. Um, children with autism have a really, really tough time with those things. And I love, you know, practitioners that are really proactive. I was working with a client and they had a really hard time at the dentist. And this dentist was so wonderful. They had to go, I think, five or six times as like a trial practice run before the actual dentist appointment. Um, so I just think that, you know, if you kind of reach out and ask people if they're willing to do a trial run, um, you know, an airport's a little bit more challenging. We can't shut down an entire airport. Um, but I think that people are really receptive. They don't, they just, that that awareness piece isn't there, right? They don't understand that, what, what sensory challenges even mean. So I think right. that's what, what we can kind of work towards is sharing that information um, and sharing it with, you know, the, the teachers that we work with and, the, and you know, really just uh, supporting that education piece. No better time than right now. Better Hearing Speech Month is when we're recording this, right? So yeah. go out and try and promote uh, this sort of idea. There's a website I want to tell you about. It's called autismmclean.org. And what it has is an autism-friendly sort of uh, checklist. So if you were going to, okay, yes, I'm aware of autism, but I want to actually do something to make it better for students with autism to come, or people with autism to come to my uh, my place of business, well, I can go through this survey and this checklist and I can say, well, I can make these adjustments. I can make these accommodations and you can make your, uh, the entire experience and environment more inviting for more people. That's great. It's good to know about that resource. I know um, another place to, to look is Autism Society of America, their website, not quite the same thing, but they have just like a resource directory that gets really hyper-local. Like if you're looking for a dentist in your area that maybe has experience with that, um, often you can find one, you know, through the website or same thing with barbers, haircuts, that sort of thing. Um, but I, I think you nailed it too, Chris, when you said that I think everybody's trying, right? I think people are absolutely willing to try. And so like Rachel said, if you just reach out, um, you know, I've even been in situations where I had a student that wanted to see a movie and it was going to be a little while until the next autism friendly showing. And I called the theater and asked and they said, yeah, just come at 10 a.m. You know, we'll, we'll do something for you. And I mean, it was great. You know, it was really accommodating. And I think people for the most part will do things like that if you ask. And another strategy that I use is for children who have a hard time going to the dentist or the hairdresser, you know, you name it, anything out in the community, social stories, social stories that are tailored to a specific child and their specific experience are so effective. I was working with a client and he was going for surgery and we actually read a social story about it and there were pictures and pictures of the hospital, pictures of the doctor, um, explaining exactly what was going on. And 
I've never seen this student more engaged. He was talking more. He was asking questions. Um, it was so fascinating. And I really think we can, we can utilize social stories in a way that not only helps prepare children to go out in the community, but also I think promotes engagement because, you know, now with technology and things like Pictello and all these apps where you can create your own social stories, it's so easy to just kind of take any situation and talk about it in a social context. Um, and another great thing about preparing social stories or communication narratives is that it then lets you think about all the opportunities to embed communication in that student's experience, um, which is cool. You get to kind of pre-visualize uh, what that's going to look like um, for them and uh, think through you know, some of the teachable moments. Well, I'm excited to hear more about it. So without further ado, let's listen to Chris Begay's interview with Ellen Winchester and Andrea Gardner. Hi, everybody. This is Chris Bouguet for Talking With Tech, and I am joined today with two people from down under, down in Australia. Right now, I have um, Ellen Winchester and Andrea Gardner. Am I saying your names correctly? Yes, yep, that's right. Excellent. And so tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do. Um, all right. Well, I'll go first. This is Ellen speaking. So um, I'm a speech pathologist, and um, I work for an organization called Autism Spectrum Australia, um, I've worked for them for nearly 10 years now. So, um, yeah, my roles have been working in our schools, I've been working in our early intervention settings, um, working mostly in homes and schools and preschools. We don't have any clinic-based work in our organisation. We do everything in context and in the community. Um, and I'm currently managing a transdisciplinary team of therapists. So, yeah, that's me. That you, Andrea? Yeah, I'm Andrea Garner, and uh, I'm a teacher at Aspect. I've been there about four years now. Um, so I work in a couple of capacities. Firstly, I'm a teacher, so I'm on class sometimes. Um, but I also um, manage uh, all the research projects that we're doing. So we do um, participatory action research. Um, so we just um, identify the gaps in our service, and then we... Um, go to the research to see if there's anything there that can fill those gaps. And if there's not, then we design it. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. I don't know many places that do this. So um, in the United States, we have like public schools. So you don't work for, it's not, what is the aspect exactly? So we're a non-for-profit um, organization. So um, we, yeah, so technically for a long time, we've been a charity, but all of the funding systems in Australia for disability have recently changed. So um, at the moment we're, uh, in the therapy team anyway, we're working off a new funding model where, um, yeah, a lot of the funding goes directly to individuals instead of organisations. Um, but then in the schools um, that we have, we're not a government school or well, I guess we're kind of like a private school because we don't really get much government funding. Parents pay school fees to come to our school. Um, but, you know, the, the cool thing about that is that we get to kind of um, use our own model and everything. So we still have to follow our state um, curriculum at our school, but we also have what we, um, Aspects has called the Aspect Comprehensive Approach to Education. So basically that means we align um, every strategy that, you know, is autism friendly or that would benefit people in the autism spectrum. So we use, you know, we use positive behaviour support. We have a learning support team. We um, involve families in all of our planning and intervention. Um, we, what else have I missed, Andrea? We're transdisciplinary. Transitions, community. Transition 
community support. Mm -hmm. Um, So we try and bed all these other elements that have been shown to be beneficial for people in the autism spectrum within the curriculum at our schools. So that's it in a very, very brief (laughs) explanation of our schools. (laughs) So walk me through it. Let's say I'm a parent and I have a child and the child is demonstrating some sort of difficulties. Maybe it's communication. Um, And what do I do? I come to your school and do I already have the funding? Have I already gone through someplace else to get some sort of communication device or is that all through you? You help me navigate that process. How does it all work? Well, that's a really complex question. So, um, you know, families, some families might come to us with a device already. Um, Some families might come to us, they might have an iPad with a communication app on it. Some families come to us with nothing. Some families come to us really like well-educated about what they want, but they don't know how to get it and we help them from there. Um, But yeah, some people will have already been working with our therapy team since, um, you know, since the child was two or three. So we might have already set up the communication device and they come to us ready to go. That's happening more often now that children are getting more therapy funding from an early age. Um, so, but there's still people who come and they, they don't know, you know, what's out there and they don't know about high tech AAC. They don't know what's going to be best for their child. And so a big part of the project that Andrew and I have been working on for the last um, five years now um, is really about trying to work with families exactly where they're at, trying to understand the level of knowledge they have about AAC, um, really providing them with as much knowledge as possible, discussing pros and cons of all the different types of systems if their child needs one, um, and then just really putting... um, you know, empowering them to make the decision about what's going to be the best for their child. So we're not the type of service that says, okay, at our school you need to be using this type of system. Um, I specialise in the LAMP approach and that's certainly the approach I love to implement and I'm a LAMP trainer in Australia, but um, I still really mostly believe in parent choice and control over intervention Um, and a big part of our work really has been about educating the families so that, um, you know, we're reducing the risks of that long-term device abandonment. So we want to empower them. We want to educate them. We want to give them that opportunity to make the choice so that we keep the device with them long-term. So, yeah, we help them choose the system. Um, They choose the system and then we'll provide um, education through a range of models, which Andrea um, has done a lot of work on, um, you know, in terms of the different training models that we use with families to help them know how to use the device effectively with their child and in partnership with that's exactly what I want to hear about. So, Andrea, tell me about these models. How, what, what do you use? Well, uh, it's interesting because, um, as Ellen said, the, the parents might come to us with nothing. They might come to us knowing what they want. But it's also a two-way um, street at our organization. So sometimes the um, new family arrives at school, uh, at which point we would refer them to the speech pathologist to get them assessed and determine what system would be best for that particular child. So, um, and then at that point, some families will also see Ellen and get a private therapist at home to further um, educate their child. But um, in terms of the um, training that we provide, um, we, we started with a flipped model, a flipped education model in which Um, We provided online um, education, Um, we provided a DVD, we provided all kinds of static and dynamic resources, Um, and then that allowed us to target 
um, which teachers we need to see about which particular skills. Because we have um, only one speech pathologist at school, and they're only part-time. So, okay. so you can imagine trying to visit every teacher and every teacher's aide, um, uh, as well as all of the parents, um, wouldn't work very well. Um, in our context, however, um, our technology isn't always up to par um, for delivering such models. Um, so we've actually, um, through our research, discovered a blended learning model um, which incorporates um, not only the static um, references, which is in the form of a workbook at this point, um, but we also have um, interactive online videos. Um, so people can watch good practice. They have to respond to questions about that practice. Um, they can't move on until they've mastered their learning. Um, and that has allowed us to see where we need to target further education and one-to-one practice. Um, it also has something called Padlet, which is an app, um, basically an online pin board. Um, so we, we post all kinds of new resources there because we are bound by the curriculum as well. So for teachers, it's really difficult to um, incorporate the LAMP approach, the methodology, uh, and the use of a device in a classroom when you maybe have one or two children on those devices and the other two children are hyperlexic or something. Right. So um, we're, we're really trying to support the teachers in understanding that this is an everyday, all day, this is the child's voice. And yes, you are bound by the curriculum to teach certain things, but we might have to go about it in a different way. Um, for the parents, we've also in, incorporated um, workshops rather than lectures. So um, the parents receive a DVD that has all that comprehensive foundation information on it, which they can refer back to at all times. Um, and then they come to a workshop where they actually utilize those skills that they've learned about through the DVD. Um, and we also use, um, we formerly used Talkbox, which was an app, um, it's a voice messaging app, but we have switched to um, Voxer because Talkbox didn't update with the last update. <laughs> um, technology can be your friend sometimes, so sometimes not. Um, so um, we've switched to Voxer, and what that allows us to do is give real-time feedback. So a good example is um, one of our parents sent us a photo. They're, they had taken their child horseback riding, um, and this is a child that was on skill set two of our assessment, so using one-word um, communications at that point. And um, immediately I sent back um, a photograph of how to find the words like and fun um, to her. So she turned to her son and went, oh, you like, it's really fun. Um, and so we're able to support the parents in real time, but it also allows them you know, at midnight, as many of our parents are up at midnight, <laughs> um, having just got their children to bed, um, and they think of a question they have, they can actually post that to us on Voxer, and we'll pick it up in the morning when we arrive at work or, or, or whatever it is. So um, that also allows communications through the school holidays because our speech pathologist still runs Voxer. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you just said so much and I have so many questions based on everything you just said. So let's start with Voxer, the last thing there. So what yeah. it really sounds like is um, you you have a system, the, the tool Voxer, it's an app that people can download, like you said. It's free, mm -hmm. right? It is. 
Um, yep. And people can use their voice to record their question. That doesn't have to be typing or texting. That's it, can, right. it can be texting if they want. It can be typed or it can be photo, photo or video as well. And then you're, it provides both synchronous and asynchronous communication. Like you said, they can, uh, uh, but the, the part that I'm really uh, fascinated about is that there's lots of tools that, uh, that do async. You can email you at midnight and you pick it up in the morning, right? But, yeah. with, but, but that synchronous communication is like remote coaching, you know? Uh, I, I know there's lots of places where, like, or like I, in my, in my practice uh, in the public school, I'll go into a classroom and I'll sit with a, a, a paraprofessional or a teacher and then I'll be like, okay, watch me, I'm going to do this and now it's your turn, you do it, you know? And that's what mm -hmm. you're talking about, but doing it remotely because you can't be everywhere at once, but you could jump in in real time and say, okay, here's what you need to do. That sounds yeah. awesome. That sounds awesome. Yeah. It's really it, enemy. Well, the, the dynamic nature of it is what seems to be catching on. So we, it also allows those parents that um, do better, because everybody has a different learning style, and we know in adult education that you need the information that you need to apply right now and not think six months ago and not think six months from now. You need the present information. So um, by having Padlet, those parents that, do better with reading something, chewing it over, and then they have a question, they can voxer us the question. Or those parents that do better are going to the workshop and, um, you know, they, they mull it over, but they're not really very talkative in the workshop, mm -hmm. but then they have a question, they can post it on Padlet if they prefer. So it, it allows people to interact with us in the way that they're most comfortable and that they're going to gain the most um, out of it. So totally. but same thing for the teachers. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's this whole concept of universal design for learning where students exactly. give them multiple modalities, but that doesn't end once they graduate. Let's do that for adults as well. It sounds so cool. Yeah. Let me ask you about the blended learning and the DVD that you mentioned, the flipped, the flipped model and then the blended learning model. Those videos that you mentioned, did you make them or are they something that you purchased or is it uh, something you, you know, scavenged online and, and said, hey, can we use your videos? Well, tell me about what those look like. Oh, they feature Ellen, the beautiful <laughs> Ellen. <laughs> so we, we actually made those videos. Um, Ellen had been um, repeating the same um, beautiful, very informative lecture, but it took a full day. And, um, it, you know, she was saying the same thing over and over. But we also, in our school, we will have children enter at any time in the term, any time in the year. We will have, which means that not only does that family need to understand what the device is, how it uses, what's the LAMP approach, blah, 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 but also the teachers and the aides may not have had a child on device in their class, and now they do. So we're in a situation where there's constant flow and, and change, um, and the need for learning can be immediate. Um, so Ellen um, can talk to you a little bit more about the content of the DVD, but um, she is, like, is split into 12 chapters, um, and it has everything from what is um, AAC, what is communication, to here is how you operate a device that is using the MinSpeak language or has the word for life language. But Ellen can cover um, why we've done that, because her yeah. voice fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, there was a lot of um, 
a lot of other content we wanted to cover as well as just, you know, what is AAC. So we really wanted to make sure we were looking at helping pe- helping parents really understand how um, the diagnosis of autism specifically impacts their child's communication as well. So we kind of went straight back to um, some of those details in, you know, just in terms of helping them understand where their children were at and, um, you know, how to respond to them, how to even help their reception receptive language as well so we use a lot of visual supports and things and how to modify the way you're speaking and all of that so we kind of went into a lot of that stuff and um, we've split the um, DVD up as well in terms of where the children were assessed to be on the AAC profile so we would assess them on the AAC profile try to determine their level um, and then we would give parents uh, the DVD with the information based on where their children were at now. So they weren't having to kind of watch a DVD about um, a level that they're not even on yet um, or, you know, a level that's below where they are. They could just watch the DVD in terms of where they're at now, um, strategies that they need now to move forward. We have a model of education for the parents and we have a model of education for the teachers as well. So um, we were trying to develop something individual for both different groups to kind of suit the needs that they have so the demands on teachers in terms of their time and resources was different to the parents demands on time and resources so um, you know we wanted to kind of develop something that was going to be more applicable to both Um, so the DVD really is for just the parents and so um, the way we've written it and the content is in all very simple parent-friendly language. You don't use any, like, jargon or anything like that. Um, you know, we explain everything really simply. We, um, yeah, go right back to basics. We kind of um, don't really take for granted any knowledge that they may or may not have. We kind of go right back to the basics for them. And the um, online interactive videos is a new idea that we have um, really that's for about educating the teachers. So um, we'd be kind of um, one of the examples we used is, you know, just say a video of it might be me or it might be Andrea interacting with a child on the device. And, you know, it might have questions on there about like, you know, what strategy did she use in this point to support him to express um, you know, that particular word on the device and then, you know, there might be multiple choice pe- questions that pop up or um, there might be questions afterwards that come up okay. as well for them to answer. So, yeah, they're two different, um, two two different, different purposes. models. Yeah, yeah. What, um, what did you use to build? Was it, like, is it Moodle or uh, what tools did you use to build the online course? Were they, or is it just like a Google form? They watch a video and answer some Google form. How does it, how does it, how'd you build it? I'm going to throw that into Andrea because that's been an ongoing. <laughs> yeah. So um, the, the original online course was built through our campus, which is, is a free version of Moodle, effectively. Um, being free, it's not pretty. It's a bit clunky. Um, but it allowed us uh, – the, the issue that we had was um, our organization has an LMS, but it's really a passive participation LMS. So uh, uh, we didn't want that. We wanted that dynamic, collaborative participation. So we wanted teachers to be able to um, post their lesson plan and people give feedback on that. We wanted chat rooms and discussion forums and all that sort of thing. So um, that's why we went with our campus. Um, Unfortunately, as I said, our our, um, technology is 
not always updated, so it, it made it a little bit difficult. Um, but so we used our campus, um, and then we also had um, um, we we used Screenomatic or Screencast for the video to make the movie of Ellen. Screencastomatic. Um, Screencastomatic. That's the one. Yes. <laughs> Um, so everything we use is free because, um, as a nonprofit organization and a school, we don't have any money. <laughs> so, we like free. Free is doable for yeah. everybody, right? Anyone can get out and do it free. Yeah, cool. That's exactly right. And the, and same with Voxer. Um, you know, all, all these things. Like we can't ask people to turn around and spend money buying apps and stuff for what we want to do. So um, yeah, we that's basically what we've used the to make the interactive videos. Um, I used Active Presenter, um, which you can get a free version of. Um, So Active Presenter is like a very free or cheap version of Articulate software. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you know, I put the video in there and then the questions pop up and you can't move on until you answer the question correctly. Um, and that allows us to um, make sure that people are actually gaining the information we want them to gain rather than um, the traditional style of click through all the buttons, answer the quiz questions, and be done with it, you know. And <laughs> yeah, they totally. didn't really pick anything up, you know. I've never done it. I've never done that to anybody. No, no, ever. me either. No, I always am <laughs> diligent and, and focused. In <laughs> <laughs> all right, let me ask you another question that um, I think you both sort of mentioned or touched on. So, Andrea, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned uh, level two and you were – talking about like where a student was language development wise, you got no, stage two, right? Um, uh, and, two. Uh, yeah, skill set two. And then um, Ellen, you mentioned AAC profiles. Can you tell me, are those two things related? Like that you, uh, how does that work? Yeah, yeah go so, ahead, Ellen. <laughs> so the term skill set two is, um, you know, the word skill set, I guess, is how the uh, AAC profile determines the level that a child is at, um, where they're assessed at on that. So um, one reason why we really love the AAC profile is how we can really assess a child's communicative competence. So, you know, we're looking at how they are um, communicating um, and, you know, showing us their knowledge in terms of how they can operate their device, how they can um, show us their linguistic knowledge and their linguistic use, how they're using their device socially and how they're using their device strategically. Now, one reason I really love um, the AAC profile for children on the autism spectrum is that the amount of children that we have that are like, you know, technological like whizzers, they can just whip around a device and, um, you know, they know how to use all the functions, that they know how to turn it on and off, they know how to get into the settings even if there's a lock on there, they know how to find any word on there but they cannot use their device socially or they cannot use their device um you know, to express words for different meanings, you know. Um, So for children on the autism spectrum, we were kind of like, why can this child find so many words on there but they just cannot use it in a social context? Or, you know, he can make these really long sentences but he still can't tell me something really basic like going to the bathroom or asking for a drink. And, um, you know, it's just because they have a social impairment, you know, whether they've got the device there or not to give them the words, they still have a social impairment because they've got autism spectrum disorder. So 
we really love the ASC profile because we can measure that and then we can give teachers strategies around that. So, you know, we can um, measure whether um, they can use a different system if their device is broken that day because then we're assessing their strategic competence. You know, we can assess the fact that they may have, you know, 30 words on there but then can't, you know, just say stop if a child's taken their toy or mine or something like that if they can't use their words socially. So um, we really love that we can directly assess those things um, you know, because, it, you know, our teachers have so much on their plate um, with the curriculum and just, you know, all the other things they've got to do if they've got to write a behaviour support plan or have IEP meetings with parents, there's so much for them to do. And they might miss some of those really subtle factors about, you know, yeah, that child can say 50 words on there. You know, you could sit and test him all day and say, where's this word? Where's this word? He can show you, but he doesn't know how to use them. Um, so we use, we love the ASC profile for that reason. You know, we, you know, can say this child might be on skill set four for their operational learning, but they might only be on skill set two for their linguistic learning or their social learning. And then we can present all of that information to a parent in an IEP meeting um, and discuss that with a, um, with a teacher and say, look, we've got these four areas of learning and this is where your child is at, at the different areas and what's your priority for them? What do you really want him to be doing at home? What do you really want him to be doing in the classroom? And then we can use that assessment to directly inform their IEP goal. So um, the children have their curriculum goals, but then they also have an IEP goal. And the IEP um, will give the child like a, a goal in terms of their different areas of their social impairment of autism. So they will have a communication goal, they'll have a sensory goal, they'll have a learning and behaviour goal, and they might have, um, and they'll have like a social goal as well. So we, we use the um, AAC profile to determine usually the communication or the social goal on there as well. So do you find that you're doing the AAC profile yearly? Um, so ideally, um, what we want to be able to do, um, so in Australia, we have four school terms. Um, so the, the terms go for about 10 weeks. And so in term one, um, which is obviously the first term of the year, we like to use the ASC profile to set their initial goals. And then ideally we would be doing it again in term three just to assess whether um, we need to change the goal or maybe the goal needs to be the same, but we need to train change our strategies or our approach. Maybe we kind of got the strategy wrong. Um, and then we'd have ideally have a quick look over that again um, at the end of term four so that the teacher the following year can just pick up the AAC profile, see exactly where the child was and follow on from there. So the other reason we like it, I forgot to say this before, is that we kind of found that even though teachers were doing a handover to each other from year to year, sometimes that real critical information about where the child was was kind of getting lost in that interpretation of um, from one teacher to the next. And, you know, each teacher's experience is different as well. So you might have a child who's a whiz on their device, but the teacher picking them up the next year is, you know, back to kind of square one. And at least if we have the AAC profile saying this is exactly where they're at, um, we can go in and support them directly at that level. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Andrew, did you have anything to add? Um, yeah, what I was going to say is um, from a teaching perspective, we love the AAC profile um, because it helps with the link to liter literacy. So we're bound by the curriculum. We have to teach, you know, speaking and listening, reading and viewing, um, writing, punctuation, phonics, all those sorts of things. Um, and 
by by having the AAC profile, we can actually um, justify why we're teaching whole word at a certain point rather than teaching phonics or why we're teaching um, those particular words and that kind of language rather than something else. Because we also focus on core vocabulary rather than fringe vocabulary. So mm -hmm. um, uh, it's, it's also been supportive with our executive team and with our um, overarching body um, called BOSTIS for the curriculum in, in justifying how we are introducing language because the children are acquiring it in a different way. So you've been doing this, Andrea, you said four years, you've been a teacher there and uh, Ellen, you've been there for what did you say? 11 years, 10, 11 years, nearly 10, but nearly I've ten. been in different, I've been an aspect for nearly 10, but probably at the school for five or six years. Yeah. Yeah. So how have you seen it evolve over the last, let's say five years, four or five years? What, um, is the AAC profile really working for you? Are people happy with it? And then not just the AAC profile, but, Everything you've been doing, how have you seen it evolve over the years? Um, that's also another really big question. So um, when I got there, the model for just how the therapy team worked in um, as it on itself is really different to how it works now. So we used to just work off a referral system. So there would be, um, you know, myself, the speech pathologist, we'd also have the occupational therapist, we'd have the psychologist, um, and then we'd just get referrals in from teachers um, that we would go in and then address whatever was kind of going on. But because, again, as Andrea said before, we were all part-time and we had, you know, so many children in the school, we can't work with them all in a one-on-one -on -one context, which I, I know happens a lot in the States with Medicaid funding. Um, we kind of try to work more in a consultative kind of model for the teachers. So um, uh, we would just really have to go in and kind of address the issue on the referral right then and there. Um, we'd probably see the child a few times, give the teacher some strategies, but just because of the large caseload, we would then have to kind of sign off and move on. Um, our learning support team, you know, really felt that what was happening was that we were kind of just getting children really at crisis point because teachers might, um, you know, not, not be sure that there was an issue until it kind of got really urgent or it might have been only a small issue but then because of the time component until we could actually get there the issue would really evolve into this big kind of incident so we felt we were kind of just going in and addressing issues when they were really big and what we really wanted to do was change our whole model and try to be more preventative um, so we changed a lot of things so we're trying to get in and do um, a lot more group programs a lot more just systemic changes in terms of assessment and interview prevention, um, just doing things like um, having regular site meetings in different classrooms so that we were kind of identifying issues when they were really just very early. You know, we'd be able to just go in and say to a teacher, hey, we just want to sit in your classroom today and we can just help out. Um, then we might be able to say, oh, you know, have a look at um, this kid. He's kind of doing this or that. It might be worth putting in a referral to the psych or the OT now because but then we can prevent this from becoming a bigger issue later. Um, a lot more proactive in terms of, getting behaviour support plans off the ground then. So it kind of all started with that. I started to get um, feel a little bit like, you know, um, that I just always wanted 
more for, than what I was able to provide and I start to feel a little bit like, hey, you know what, I just don't really feel like I'm making a difference here. I really want more for the kids. We had mostly kids on low-tech systems or um, light-tech, um, you know, which are great and we still use them today, but we use them in conjunction with high-tech AAC. So I went and got a lot of, um, you know, professional development myself that I just sought out because I'm like, I need more. Um, I'm kind of sick of just doing the same thing all the time and feeling like I was going back in and then addressing the same issues over and over again. Um, and so that's kind of where all of this started from um, is that I just became really passionate about the LAMP approach and just started trialing kids on devices and then we grew ridiculously amount, <laughs> a ridiculous amount really quickly and I was like, oh, how the hell am I going to manage this because I went from having three kids on devices to 30 very quickly and then I was like, I need a whole class model for this. I need a way, a system for this to work so that teachers can do stuff without needing me there all the time because I was doing a lot of on-the-floor coaching, a lot of one-on-one support. Um, and, yeah, I just um, really needed a system and so we, I spent years researching and you know I got a scholarship for a project and yeah then this is what it's evolved to now gotcha yeah. so Andrea when you when you started it was some of the ball had been rolling it was you then it, that uh, kept pushing it up the hill sort of to, to say what, so what had, Andrea basically put a structure around me which is what I needed because it was <laughs> <laughs> creativity and just a mess really and um she came in and goes okay let's put in some structure so it was good I needed her <laughs> yeah. I, th I think the thing is there's a couple of things in what Ellen just said one of, one of them is uh, from a teacher's perspective when somebody comes in and tries to teach you when you're on the floor with a bunch of children on the uh, with an autism spectrum condition um you, you only have a, maybe half of your attention on what they're saying because you, you've got to have your attention on the children right. um, by, by the nature of the children. So um, it, it's, it's very difficult to do on-the-spot training, like on-job training um, in, in our context. So that was one of the challenges that we had. So people would all like half hear what you said or misinterpret what you said because they were only half paying attention. Oh, um, and then they would be like, oh, no, I got this, I got this. Um, but they would be doing things incorrectly, um, which, which is problematic for the growth of the child over the long term. So when I came on board, um, like uh, in the first year that Ellen did this, there was three kids. Um, in 2017, we had 42 kids. So we had a 940% growth wow. in a very short period of time. Um, and as I said before, we have a very fluid and dynamic, constantly changing environment in terms of the children that are in classes and, the, and when they join and when they leave and when they move from site to site, which means that we also have teachers that are constantly in need of different information at different times. Um, and, and so having relying on one person's knowledge to, to get around to all of that is impossible. So in 2018, this year, we will have 61 children on devices and we have 142 kids at school. So you, you can imagine, um, how, um, demanding that is in terms of knowledge and we have everything from novice learners that have never held a device 
to quite experienced teachers and aides who we, we actually have introduced a program called the ambassadors. So on every one of our sites, which are geographically isolated from one another, um, we have ambassadors. So the ambassadors get extra training from our speech pathologist and our LAMP team, which includes myself and a very experienced teacher's aide. Um, so we train the ambassadors, and they have this beautiful purple folder that has all the magic answers and resources in it. Um, and they, they are the um, checkpoint at every site. So anybody that's like, I don't know what to do with this thing, or I can't turn it on, or it's doing something weird with the voice, or, um, you know, how do I incorporate this into math, or whatever, um, they can go to the ambassador first, and then the ambassador, if they don't know the answer, can come to the LAMP team, and if they don't know the answer, they can go to the speech pathologist or to Ellen. Um, so we've, we've built an entire structure to... Um, accommodate the fact that we have an in ever-increasing number of students and staff that need knowledge as well as um, families and parents that, that come along with all those students. So yeah, we just got a small grant um, with the University of Wollongong um, and Aspect and the Chamber of Commerce. Um, so because we live in a relatively small community, um, and we have so many students on devices and it's ever increasing. Um, we, we are actually working on um, becoming an autism friendly community. So all the businesses will be making adjustments um, to become more autism friendly. And one of the big components of that is understanding devices, um, at least recognizing what they are and having the patience while somebody you know, tries to order something using their device um, so that we can be more inclusive of all of our um, community members. Wait a second, Andrew. I just want to clarify that for a second. Is there, the way you said that, the way you phrased it, it made it sound like there's a, like a stamp that companies get that says we're autism friendly. Is that? Yeah. Do you remember this conversation, Chris? <laughs> We had this conversation at the conference uh, a couple of years ago. So that from, from that conversation, from um, a number of other things, we, we've put together the first steps of an initiative that will take a very long time. Change always takes a long time. But um, we, we are um, dedicated to um, giving our students the best possible outcomes in adulthood. Um, so yeah, we are, um, we've, the, our students actually designed the badge that the, the, the shops will get. Um, so, and it's an online tool that we're designing at the moment. Um, but we are at the stage at the moment where, um, two, um, members of the autism community, um, individuals with autism, um, will be going around to different shops and, um, narrating what they think and feel when they enter these shops. So it's participatory action research again. Um, that's our favorite kind. <laughs> um, so um, hopefully the, the tool that comes out of it will be globally useful in helping people make adjustments. We, we understand, of course, that um, you can't change everything. You know, we want them to be low-cost, simple things, but most of the time that's all it is. 
It's very simple things. Sure. So um, everybody will be um, autonomous in what they choose to change, and, and they will submit that to the tool, which will then deliver them a badge. My um, gosh. So, yeah, we're really excited because um, it's, it's the next step. Because Ellen's dream was to take it to the community. Because um, we we've done the parents, like we're working towards that. We're working with the teachers and the aides, um, and the next logical thing is to take it broader so that everybody can succeed um, when they leave our s- structured school context. Yeah, I just um, also wanted to acknowledge as well, like this is part of a much bigger project on our organisation's behalf as well. So they've done a lot of work with um, other like, you know, parts of the community in New South Wales. So they're currently doing uh, or they've already done a project with Taronga Zoo, which is our zoo in Sydney, about having times where people with autism can go there where they've made a lot of changes there. So, you know, they're allowed to enter the zoo an hour earlier when it's quieter and they've done a lot of work with Taronga Zoo. Also, um, some of our supermarkets have done work with. So there's just started an initiative um, called Quiet Hour in Coles supermarkets across, um, across the country really so people with autism can go into Coles at what's called quiet hour so they won't be you know the radio playing um there's a lot of changes they've made just in terms of like the cash registers and there's going to be fruit available the lights will be dimmed um you know yeah they've done a lot of work with Coles um they're also currently doing a project with um, all Australian beaches as well trying to make them more accessible for people in the autism spectrum so um, you know, we kind of want to do this autism-friendly community project. Um, yeah, which eventually my idea was originally that I wanted to train up some local shops so that we could help the kids generalise their skills on their device, um, you know, to be able to go into the local McDonald's or a local cafe, order something using their system and that the, the shopkeepers would know how to respond to them naturally. Um, so we really wanted to do a lot of communication partner work Um So that was the original idea and then it kind of just grew into, well, you know, we could accredit these cafes and things with, you know, so that they know if there's a person with autism waiting in line that that might actually be really hard for them. You know, if there's someone behind them that touches them lightly, like that's actually quite stressful for them. So there'll be, you know, adjustments like that um, that we can make for those those cafes that earn their stamp or their sticker. That sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, importantly, it's 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 broader than cafes and grocery shops we're also um, working with doctors offices and dentists so if our student only has five words you know uh, they need to be able to communicate what the issue is to to their par- their medical professional or or what have you so um like it, it, it's a long road we're not patting ourselves on the back just yet <laughs> but um but but it's it's a step in the right direction we we think. So let me ask you this question: from the the videos that you mentioned, and then this initiative, um, is there a way people can uh, who uh, who who don't who aren't involved in your school or don't live in your area learn more? Can there is there a place to watch the videos? Do you have you have you shared those, or are they allowed to be shared? And then the initiative that you're talking about, the um, what did you call it? Autism friendly community. Autism friendly. Um, communities yeah i wasn't sure if there was like a a, what the stamp said you know but okay autism friendly um 
is there a way, is there a website or something where people can go to learn more about what, what changes? We definitely want to develop something like that. I think because we've just been doing all this kind of research and, you know, I feel like every time we do something, we're like, oh, how can we do that better? And then, you know, we want to change it. We want to improve it. Um, and so that's probably, we're probably still at that point where we're like, we, we love what we're doing, but yeah, we're still in that research kind of phase. So we want to kind of get everything as tight as possible, I guess. Definitely with the parent um, videos, we've been asked for them quite a lot and we definitely want to have that available as a package at some point um, that we can, yeah, give to people. Um, but, yeah, it's still very much a rough um, a rough <laughs> version at this point um, just to kind of get everything off the floor. Um, yeah, so time is an issue, but we're kind of working on that, you know, seeing if we can get a grant or Do something. It. Do yeah. it tomorrow. <laughs> I want it. Like a grant that can release us off our jobs so that we can just do this because um, we do this kind of on top of our regular work. So, yeah, this isn't um, something we're just paid to do. It's on top of all of our other duties. So do we it. really, really want. So if there's anyone out there listening that wants to pay for us just to do this for a year or something, we'd love that. <laughs> yeah. It'd be well worth it. It would be well worth some uh, someone to to uh, to fund that sort of initiative. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the plug. <laughs> so uh, yeah. let me ask you last question. I'll wrap up because I know I've taken a, a bunch of your time here. Is here, So it's a kind of a question I like to ask at the end of any interview, which is what is driving you right now? What are you curious about? What is kind of floating your boat? What is keeping you like uh, not what is, what, when you wake up in the morning, you're like, this is what I want to learn more about. What's well, what's going on? At the moment, um, I have become quite interested in multisensory language learning and how we can utilize that methodology and approach in conjunction with kids on devices to teach reading and writing. So um, I, I, I'm still focused on, you know, making sure that our teachers and our um, our parents and, and such are working towards becoming more fluent and um, educated around the device itself. But I'm also quite interested in, from a teaching perspective, how do we build literacy skills um, for children that are using whole words and that may have limited communicative language. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm, that's where I'm focused right now. Um, and of course the community autism friendly community initiative, um, is a big passion of mine. So, um, that's awesome. kind of where I'm going this year. Um, and we're going to work towards getting our course uh, for teachers accredited by our body so that teachers get professional development hours for those. So awesome. Fantastic. What about you, Ellen? Um, yeah, well, I mean, a lot of my time's taken up with my kind of management duties. So, um, you know, this year I just need to keep consulting on all the projects that they're still running at the school. Um, I think, I, you know, I still see a couple of clients and um, I have a really, really gorgeous kid that I'm working with at the moment who has just incredible knowledge, but he also um, on his device, but he's also like has really significant challenging behavior as well. So um, yeah, I've got, that's kind of a passion of mine is, is really how we can really support that communication development for that level of complex um, child at the moment, you know, who, you know, will go out and push and hit and bite anybody, but 
you know, also has this amazing kind of language stuck in there. So really that's where I'm kind of focused at the moment in terms of what, what really drives me because that kid is, you know, there's really so much more to him than, than his behaviour and we're lucky in the context that we work in but um, in terms of we know that he'll be supported in a positive manner but, yeah, I really want to kind of develop something around that one day that, you know, we can share and present. Um, so I've still been thinking about that for a while but I don't really know how I'm going to go about that at this point but, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again for taking your time to uh, share the way you were doing things. I think you some um, huge takeaways of mine were like the, the Voxer autism friendly initiative, um, the videos, the blended learning, all of that is just so uh, amazing. So thank you again. Well, welcome back. I think that was a great interview. Um, we definitely want to hear what you think, especially about things in your community that, uh, that you like to see. Um, in terms of accommodations. So let us know. If you guys haven't already, please come find us on Facebook. You just search Talking With Tech and you can ask us questions. We love feedback. So leave us a comment, you know, ask us any questions that you have and we would love to hear from you. And please go to the podcast app and subscribe. And if you've already subscribed, tell a friend. Well, once again, for Lucas Stuber, Rachel Madel, and Chris Bugay, this was Talking With Tech. Thanks for listening. We will talk at you more next week. Thank you.